British troops will begin withdrawing from southern Iraq this summer. Is this a good idea? We'll ask Texas Congressman Joe Barton. And conservative anger continues over Governor Perry's mandate to vaccinate middle school girls against a sexually transmitted disease. We'll discuss this issue with a doctor. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. The actual reduction in forces will be from the present 7,100, itself down from over 9,000 two years ago and 40,000 at the time of the conflict, to roughly 5,500. That's British Prime Minister Tony Blair talking about his announcement today that Britain will withdraw around 1,600 troops from Iraq in the coming months. Uh, he's got, uh, right now, Great Britain has a 7,100-strong contingent there. By late summer, they hope to have it down to around 5,000. We're going to talk about the implications of that uh, today on the program. Also, I return today from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando. Certainly a great time to see other broadcasters broadcasters from all over the country, really all over the world. Uh, it's a time of encouragement and also a time of education on the threats to the freedoms of religious broadcasters and Christians in general. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, we'll also talk about the state of New Jersey, which has begun uh, civil unions ceremonies, legal civil unions for homosexual couples uh, now in that state. And we continue to cover the implications of Texas Governor's uh, Rick Perry's mandate that girls entering the sixth grade be required to receive the vaccine against a sexually transmitted disease. We're going to talk with a doctor about that. Uh, but first of all, uh, let's just hear one more comment from uh, British Prime Minister Tony Blair addressing, addressing the House of Commons. He says the British troops will take on more of a support role for the Iraqi forces. The UK military presence will continue into 2008 for as long as we are wanted and have a job to do. Increasingly, our role will be support and training, and our numbers will be able to reduce accordingly. Right now, I am pleased to introduce my guest, Congressman Joe Barton, who was first elected to serve the 6th District of Texas in 1984. 22-year uh, congressman, been serving the state well. He was uh, selected to be the chairman of the House Committee on Energy and Commerce in 2004. Now, with the Democrats in control, he is the ranking member of that very important committee. Uh, he's been called by the Wall Street Journal, the House GOP's leading expert on energy policy, and uh, Congressman Barton. Thanks for being with me. Well, we're uh, 
I'm delighted to be uh, asked to be on your program. Congressman Barton was at KCBI today, and everybody was blessed by that. Uh, But, uh, Representative Barton, I want to ask you about this announcement by Tony Blair today, because it's being spun, or at least uh, reported by many in the media, as uh, a repudiation of the Bush troop surge policy. Do you see it that way? No, ma'am, I I don't. I think... um Anybody who's visited Iraq, and I've, I've not been there often, but I have been there once, uh, it's a very big country, and the, the sector that the British are in is is one that's been more peaceful, and as the Prime Minister pointed out, uh, as they should, they're turning more and more of the day-to-day security over to the Iraqis as they get uh, trained and they get uh, plussed up in their own security forces, so it, it uh, uh, I think I think it's appropriate that the British uh, downsize their force. I don't think it has anything to do with the uh, president's decision to increase U.S. forces in central Baghdad to back up the Iraqis who are doing the same thing, going out more and more into the central capital to uh, to regain uh, control of the uh, of the capital city. In a sense, uh, with the South uh, a little more stable, much more stable than uh, the areas around Baghdad, this is really what we will want to see eventually throughout the country, isn't it? Right. As the <clears throat> as the Iraqis' uh, forces get uh, larger and better trained, uh, and as they gain the confidence of the Iraqi citizenry, uh, it's natural that the the, uh, uh, the non-Iraqi military presence would uh, be less visible and eventually uh, be reduced. And hopefully we can do that with the United States forces uh, uh, sometime uh, sooner rather than later once the situation is uh, stabilized. My guest here on the program is Congressman Joe Barton. And uh, Congressman Barton, what about the House vote over the weekend? Basically, a non-binding resolution doesn't really force any action in any way, but uh, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Well, you... <coughs> You're one of the few that's pointed out that it is non-binding. So it, what that means is it's all politics and all symbolism. It has no force of law. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, cynical on behalf of Nancy Pelosi to put a resolution like that up on the floor. Uh, I'd much rather have a real debate uh, on a real vote that if it passes or fails, that it's it has the force of law if it, it passes. So it the resolution itself tried to have it both ways, and in addition to uh, to being non-binding, Part A said we support our troops, and then Part B uh, said, but we don't support the president's decision to reinforce those very same troops. So it's self-contradictory uh, in, in 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 two paragraphs. Did every everybody got to talk about this? Didn't they? Didn't each uh, member of they Congress did, get uh, to make a speech? The uh, the the. The Democrats did allow enough time that everybody who wanted to uh, could uh, could talk for uh, up to five minutes, and that's I support that. That uh, that was a good thing that there could be a, a, a extended debate or discussion. But non-binding resolutions are for uh, uh, commending the Dallas Cowboys for going to the Super Bowl or something like that. They're not for war and peace. Not for issues of national security. No, no ma'am. Representative Barton, no, what about your colleague John Murtha and his proposal is this sort of slow bleed policy that would put conditions on actual funding for military operations? Well, Do I you see that having any kind of a, a chance, a shot there? I think there? it's uh, corrosive and poisonous and extremely uh, 
uh, short-sighted. Um, you know, the Congress has the power to declare war. The Congress has the power to demand the president pull back by reducing funding. But if you're going to support the war, support our national security, uh, which I do, you don't adopt a cynical strategy like slow bleed, which is exactly what it says it is. It, 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 it weakens and weakens so that you can't effectively perform the mission. And uh, that is, it is very um, uh, unsupportive or non-supportive of our troops uh, in both Iraq and Afghanistan. In a sense, does it, does it seem like some uh, Democrats or some uh, of your colleagues there in the Congress are just giving up on any possibility of success in Iraq? Well, I can't speak for every... I, I do think uh, Speaker Pelosi and the new majority leader, Senator Hoyer, the Democratic majority, um, even immediately after 9-1-1, was not real excited about utilizing the military option. Of course, the longer we've been in the field and the, the more uh, uh, complicated the situation on the ground has become with all the various factions fighting for political power in Iraq, the less they supported the military option. But having said that, it is in our national security to fight world terrorism, international, you know, Islamic militant terrorism. And um, to do that, you have to be engaged militarily in Iraq and, and in Afghanistan. And, it, you know, because of that, I continue to support the president's decisions and continue to support a, a, a program that would lead towards victory. And I think we can win in Iraq. Congressman Joe Barton uh, is the ranking member on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. And Representative Barton, it looks like uh, there's going to be something either debated or addressed in Congress with regard to the idea of global warming. And of course, you know, people disagree and agree whether it's a real phenomenon, whether humans cause it, and whether we can affect it or change it. How do you expect Congress to address this? Well, first we have to determine what the facts are. Let's get the science and to the extent there is science. You know, I certainly uh, support research. I certainly accept that the temperature since 1850 has, has, has warmed generically, uh, but I do not accept that it's a given that the temperature is in an escalating climate temperature increase because of human-caused uh, emissions from uh, electricity generation and tailpipe emissions and, and, and things like that. The, the science does not support that. In fact, there's quite a bit of science that says uh, the Earth goes through naturally reoccurring warming and cooling periods, and the amount of greenhouse gases as a percent of the total part of the atmosphere is so insignificant, like about one-tenth of one-thousandth percent, that uh, it's, it's just way too early to say that, that A, we're on a automatically increasing climate uh, temperature increase no matter what and be that whatever the temperature is going up or down that is caused by mankind. So I think we ought to continue to do the research, continue to do the science, continue to do things that make sense economically but not devastate our economy by putting some mandatory carbon capture and control system that just sends jobs overseas to China and India.
You know, we can't deny that we're going to continue to need oil in this country, but there's been lots of discussion, of course, of reducing our dependence on foreign oil and really all oils, and uh, in that case, foreign oil. So, uh, because that would have strategic ramifications worldwide and for other reasons. What do you see happening with regard to this, for instance, using alternative technologies? Anything we can do to, to reduce our dependence on overseas oil, that's a good thing. Uh, anything we can do to come up with alternative energy sources, for especially for mobility for cars and trucks, planes and trains, is a good thing. But it's going to be a long time before we don't need oil for to convert to gasoline and aviation fuel and diesel fuel for our trucks and trains. So I think we need a diversified approach. Uh, we need to utilize as much as possible our domestic resources and... Uh, we need to, uh, to to develop some policies based on market economics, so that uh, the American people get the get ample energy supplies at uh, you know at affordable prices. The Energy Policy Act that I helped pass several years ago is doing that, and I hope that uh, the new Democrat majorities don't try to undo a lot of what we just mm-hmm. did in energy policy two years ago. One more question, Congressman Barton, and I'm so appreciative of your being with me today and taking this time, and that is the issue of federal funding of embryonic stem cell research. I know your committee has some input into that, and uh, I'm wondering, I know this it was already vetoed by President Bush, but we hear it will come up again in the House. What's your position on it? Um, I, I have voted for what's called, the, in the last Congress, the, the, get, the Castle to Get Bill, and now in this Congress, the, the Get Castle. It's the same bill. Uh, with the same sponsors. They switch the names around. Yeah, uh, because of the majority switches. Um, I'm hopeful, though, that the, the science and the, and the research gets ahead of the politics and it doesn't be, continue to be a political issue. There is some evidence, and Congressman Bartlett of uh, Maryland has a bill, that there's a way to take a, a cell out of a, an embryo without destroying the embryo. And, and then you can create the stem cells from that. Uh, I'm a co-sponsor of that bill, and if, it, uh, if that bill uh, bears, if law bears fruit and that technology works, then you don't have to have a debate about, about, um, about embryos. Uh, I did support the Castle to Get bill because the embryos it would use are embryos that uh, are going to be disposed of um, and not used for life because they're the the the, the, the couples the custodians have um, decided that they uh, uh, they don't want to use it for reproductive purposes. Congressman Joe Barton, thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, we appreciate it, and we appreciate your representing uh, your area of the state of Texas. Long time in Congress. Thanks a lot. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. 
Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. It doesn't much matter if elsewhere in Iraq, not least in Basra, change is happening. If Baghdad cannot be secured, the future of the country is in peril. The enemies of Iraq understand that, and we understand that. That is Prime Minister Tony Blair of Great Britain. He is uh, addressing the same issue that uh, Congressman Joe Barton addressed in the last segment and making the point that there are different geographical areas in Iraq and that in Baghdad, more troops are needed. In Basra, it's okay. In fact, it's a good idea now to draw down troops. In fact, he said uh, that he hopes that the last chapter in Basra's history can be written by uh, the Iraqis. Uh, that's uh, He was addressing, of course, the House of Congress and he wants to see positive change there. Uh, and he says that he knows that the challenges of securing Basra in the south do not compare to those in Baghdad. Over time, and depending naturally on progress and the capability of the Iraqi security forces, we will be able to draw down further, possibly to below 5,000 once the Basra palace site has been transferred to the Iraqis in late summer. And, of course, this is a roadmap for what could eventually happen in all of Iraq as the situation, the security station, uh, situation gets stabilized in those areas. Tony Blair, again, addressing the House of Commons, he says Britain will be able to draw down more and more troops as the situation in the southern Iraqi city of Basra becomes more and more secure. It doesn't much matter if elsewhere in Iraq, not least in Basra, change is happening. If Baghdad cannot be secured, the future of the country is in peril. The enemies of Iraq understand that, and we understand that. This is Tony Blair, of course, uh, with, uh, referring to his announcement today that Britain will withdraw around 1,600 troops from Iraq. Uh, it will be cutting its 7,100-strong contingent by late summer, getting it down uh, around 5,500. And uh, other countries are going to be withdrawing their troops from southern Iraq. Uh, it's the international forces that are in southern Iraq. It's American forces, for the most part, that are in northern Iraq, that are in Baghdad. So you have countries like Lithuania saying they're going to take out their 53 troops from Iraq in August. Uh, and other countries, Denmark, uh, will replace its troops with surveillance helicopters and civilian advisors. Uh, but you still see the United States really clamping down in the Baghdad area and also in the Anbar province where al-Qaeda has a stronghold. Now, this is not a repudiation of the Bush, Bush policy, according to many in the administration, including Vice President Dick Cheney and also Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. She said in a news conference, Britain has been a terrific partner in Iraq and is not bailing out now. 
Prime Minister Blair has made clear that he, they will be looking out over the next several months uh, based on conditions on the ground, and we look forward to continued discussions with the British about that. Do you agree with these folks in the administration and with uh, Congressman Joe Barton of Texas that uh, this is really a wise idea that Great Britain would uh, pull out and is not a repudiation of the Bush policy? Or do you think this is a sign that our allies around the world are bailing on us? Uh, they don't agree with us. Uh, they think President Bush is doing the wrong thing in continuing. What are your thoughts on that? To Give us a call at 800-881-9270. Again, Prime Minister Tony Blair aggress addressing the House of Commons. He says he wants to keep British troops in the country only long enough to let the Iraqi forces take over. What all of this means is not that Basra is how we want it to be, but it does mean that the next chapter in Basra's history can be written by the Iraqis. I might mention that 80 to 90 percent of the violence is in and around Baghdad. And uh, so these troops leaving southern Iraq, the hope is, the thought is, uh, that they are not going to affect the violent situation. Uh, we don't have Sunnis fighting Shias there. There may be some increase in the Shia on Shia fighting, and that will have to work itself out, and the Iraqis will have to get control of that situation. Uh, but the British troops are going to stay at, until at least 2008, says Tony Blair. He will leave troops there. And again, as I said, most non-U.S. troops are concentrated in southern Iraq, and uh, our troop surge is in Baghdad and the Anbar provinces. If you have any comments on this, do you think this is a good idea, or do you think this is an ominous announcement today by Tony Blair? Give us a call at 800 881 uh, I think that the effect is really political here, not strategic. I think this could hurt the Bush administration because of those who are saying that this is a way that the international community is isolating our efforts there and that they are not with us any longer. Do you agree with that? Do you think that is the case? Of course, uh, Condoleezza Rice saying that this is consistent with the plan to turn over more control to the Iraqi forces and that this is a, the eventual plan for the country as a whole. Dick Cheney saying the same thing. Bush saying this is a sign of success in Iraq. We'd love to hear from you on this issue. Uh, again, give us a call, 800-881-9270. But I want to transition to another issue, uh, something that's been in the news this week and we haven't gotten to cover yet. And by the way, my thanks to Kirby Anderson for sitting in yesterday and uh, doing such a great job as he always does, and to Andrew Abair on Monday and to Denny Burke on Friday, uh, while Dr. Johnson and I were um, both at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Uh, I saw him a couple of times there, uh, but it's such a big convention conference. There are thousands and thousands of broadcasters there, so didn't see much of him. But uh, it was a great, great time, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I want to mention that in the state of New Jersey, uh, this week, uh, civil unions began. And civil unions are, of course, marriage without the name. They're the benefits of marriage for homosexual couples without calling it marriage. This began in the state of New Jersey because of a court decision and um, it's really uh, they're now legal and I want to get a report now from AP correspondent Jeff Mulville. New Jersey became the third state with such a law and the fifth to grant same-sex couples the same protections as married straight couples. The law was passed last December under pressure from the state Supreme Court. 
The third state, the first state was Vermont several years ago. The state of Connecticut also has civil unions. California has basically the same thing, only they call it domestic partnerships. Uh, And now New Jersey has this. And uh, as this correspondent, Jeff Mulville, says, this was a result of a judicial decision. He has more details. It'll be the third state with civil unions and the fifth to offer gay couples all the benefits that straight couples get when they get married. Some of these benefits, of course, are the ability to adopt children and uh, the ability to uh, visit each other in the hospital. Supposedly, there was not that, uh, that opportunity, although I kind of wonder about that. In most cases, I don't think that is the case. Uh, but really what it is is the benefits of marriage without the name marriage. The court last summer said that the legislature had to do something. They were, the state was sued, and uh, the court was not willing to say that, uh, as they did in Massachusetts, that gay marriage was the law of the land in New Jersey, but they did throw it to the legislature. Legislature passed civil unions, and so we've got these ceremonies taking place now in the state. Correspondent Mulville uh, of AP reporting New Jersey Governor John Corzine actually supports same-sex unions and even gay marriage. The governor said he would have signed a law legalizing gay marriage in New Jersey. And that is uh, correspondent Jeff Mulville from AP. What do you think about this issue? Uh, Is it a good idea to allow homosexual couples the benefits of marriage? Uh, Should they get full legal same-sex marriage, or should we kind of leave it as it is in most states where uh, same-sex couples living together basically are on their own uh, and uh, not treated as if they have some sort of uh, rights that married couples have? You can give us a call on that, 800-881-9270. Let's go to James in Arlington, who has a comment on Tony Blair. Hi, James. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for calling. Thank you. I was just driving in the, uh, listening to the uh, radio here, heard your uh, request for comments on uh, Tony Blair's decision. And what's your comment? Uh, uh, my comment is that uh, I think that Tony Blair personal point of views is not the issue here, but he's responding to public pressure, and since Great Britain is actually a democracy, that uh, his decision is starting to reflect the will of the people, which is probably appropriate, seeing as that he is an elected official. So you don't think this is a strategic decision that's for the good of the uh, conflict as a whole? Ultimately, it probably is. Um, I think that uh, Tony Blair has helped create some of the conflict, and his constituency is indicating that that's not the direction that they view their country should be supporting at this point. And so I think it obviously is going to be a political decision, but probably one based on public pressure as opposed to uh, his individual ideals. Okay, great. James, thanks for your call, and we do continue to take your calls here on Jerry Johnson Live. And uh, I might mention that uh, there's an event coming up that uh, you need to be aware of, and that is uh, something we call here at the Criswell College Encounter Criswell, and it takes place next Wednesday um, from 8 to 12 a.m. That's March 1st. 8 to 12 in Counter Criswell. And what you can do is check out the Criswell College. You can go to class. You can worship in the chapel. You can have lunch with professors. And basically, you can encounter the Criswell College. To find out more about this, uh, you can give us a call at 800-899-0012. Or you can uh, go to the website, uh, www.criswell.edu. Or you can email us, admission 
at criswell.edu. We hope that uh, you will join us. Also, uh, this is an announcement that I've been waiting to make. Uh, We now have archived shows. We have archived editions of Jerry Johnson Live on our website, which is at uh, www.jerryjohnsonlive.com. Dot com, and uh, you can go back and hear shows that you've missed. We've been getting a lot of requests for the shows, and we've been sending out CDs, uh, but uh, that is a little bit bulkier and a little bit more difficult. We're going to streamline the process now, and you can just go to the website, uh, www.jerryjohnsonlive.com, and you can get the archived shows. Well, uh, as Kirby Anderson discussed yesterday, there's still a lot of opposition to Governor Rick Perry's uh, mandate for the vaccine against the human papilloma virus, a sexually transmitted disease, basically for 11 and 12-year-olds. Uh, we're going to talk with a doctor about the health implications of this, uh, pro and con. So we hope that you will stay with us for more of Jerry Johnson Live. I'm Penna Dexter. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Um, I was told that there was no way I could survive, that possibly by chemo and radiation they could prolong my life. This was the most horrifying news at 38 years old I could possibly have heard. That's Heather Burcham. Uh, she testified at a public hearing on legislation aimed at Governor Rick Perry's order that required schoolgirls, middle school girls age 11 and 12, be vaccinated against some strains of the human papilloma virus, which is a sexually transmitted disease. We have been discussing this at length here on Jerry Johnson Live. A lot of people upset that the governor would mandate such a thing. They see it as undermining parental rights. Uh, We want to talk about the medical issues today with a doctor, and I think that's appropriate. And she is Dr. Linda Flowers. She is uh, president of the Texas Physicians Resource Council. She is also practicing, in fact, she practices in a clinic uh, that uh, gives health care to indigent patients in Houston, Texas. And uh, Dr. Flower, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you for having me, Penna. Linda, I think we do need to talk about the science here. Uh, We've been talking about parental rights, and we have talked about the science, but I want to get this uh, straight from a doctor to talk about, uh, first of all, I know that 4,000 women die of cervical cancer every year, and the Dallas Morning News reports that a tenth of those are in Texas, and uh, that, of course, you can only get this through uh, sexually transmitted uh, activity or sexual activity. Uh, So... um, how does this vaccine work? What does it protect against? Uh, the, the particular vaccine that the mandate that the governor ordered uh, is the Gardasil vaccine, which is made by Merck, and it uh, helps the body produce antibodies to uh, four of the HPV viral types. Two of them, number 16 and 18, are the two that uh, are responsible for about 70% of the cervical cancer in the United States. And um, the other two strains are strains that are most commonly uh, produce the uh, genital, what's called genital warts. Uh, so when you look at this vaccine, and you said that it's produced by Merck, it's called Gardasil, uh, how long has it been tested and how effective has it been shown to be? 
The, uh, the studies have been going on for almost 10 years. Um, it has been tested in 25,000 people in 33 countries. Um, the Merck trials involved 20,000, a little over 20,000 women ages 16 to 26, and a thousand, a little over a thousand girls between ages 9 and 15. And the vaccine uh, recipients, they had to receive three doses of the vaccine over a six-month period. So, Dr. Flowers, uh, when you look at this, you've seen these tests. Have there been adverse effects from the vaccine? Um, the adverse effects have been those that are fairly common with uh, vaccines like um, fainting. Um, you can always have an allergic reaction. Um, I think there's been a couple of reports of seizures, headache. There's, um, the, it's pretty common to have pain at the vac- vaccine site. And it's also fairly common to have a little bit of fever. So you're talking about, uh, I know that we've, you know, we've reported on these, the fact that this vaccine has not been tested on the wider, broader population. But you're talking about some um, fairly routine reactions to this. But what happens when you take a drug like this and you've tested it, as you said, and you throw it out to the wider population? Are there risks there to, the, to our young girls? Well, there's, there's some risks that I imagine, I mean, some of them are just unknown. Um, you know, when you, when you give it to the wider public, you're, you're going to end up giving it to some people who maybe have another underlying disease that you don't know about, and that can cause problems. Um, some people, again, are going to have a, an allergic reaction. If you are allergic to yeast, you're not supposed to take this vaccine. Um, it's, so how do you know when you're 11 if you're allergic to yeast? <laughs> well, sometimes you don't, but if you've been able to take the hepatitis B vaccine and not had a bad reaction, then you should be okay. Okay, Linda, I know you and I have talked before, and we've talked about the, the rights of parents in this situation, and there certainly are benefits uh, to this for certain people who are going to be sexually active. But uh, you're the mom of an 11-year-old, uh, and you've got a, a young girl in middle school or entering middle school, and she's got to get this vaccine now, uh, according to the governor, unless something changes. Uh, so, you know, what does that do to your right as a parent to control the health care of your child? Well, it, it certainly is impending on my uh, right to um, to take to provide health care for my daughter. Now, certainly, I can get a um, a waiver to um, to not have to have my child vaccinated. Um, that uh, I don't even know totally what that process is. I've been told that it's a little bit difficult, and um, and that it has to be uh, notarized. Um, so that makes it a little bit harder. Um, so uh, unless somebody is, you know, really understands that there is a way to get out of taking the vaccine, then they're, they're going to be, you know, the, the school uh, is going to hold that over their head. If you don't get this vaccine, then you can't come to school. And it's just really um, a difficult situation to help parents understand that maybe they could, you know, bypass that situation. But my understanding is even some schools um, in, some, in some areas won't really allow you to opt out. So, um, but the main reason that we're uh, upset about this, at least I am, is just that there's very little experience with this vaccine. It's only been out about eight months. We've never mandated a a vaccine that early. Um, The the earliest that I know is the chickenpox vaccine, which is about five years. And um, that was, you know, after extensive experience with the vaccine. 
And that's a, you know, that's a disease that you can get by, you know, just uh, breathing droplets. On the, uh, I have a friend that got it in the in the elevator from someone, you know. So it's just it's very easy to catch that disease. So is this, know, this the first sexually transmitted uh, vaccine vaccine for a sexually transmitted disease? I mean, I know hepatitis B is, and they give that at birth. But for, for these girls, is this the first mandated, right. isn't it the first mandated vaccine for a sexually transmitted disease? So we're making a huge decision here in Texas, right. aren't we? We're, yeah, and it, it, it seems like we're assuming that... Um, that every that almost everybody's going to get this virus, and indeed the data shows that um, most women by the age of fifty have HPV. However, you know those statistics. I haven't looked at those closely. The the um, the wart virus that you get the little warts on your fingers is also an HPV. So I don't know if they're just saying that you know you can get some of the ones that aren't sexually transmitted. I I don't know how they get that data. Um, we do know that the the wart virus that causes the cancer um, has to be from uh, sexual contact, and um, and that even if you have uh, the wart on the skin, you're not going to get cervical cancer from that. You know, it has to be um, in the genital tract, and okay. there's only certain types of this virus that that infect the genital tract. And then they're focusing on two of the most common. What I'm afraid is is that if you vaccinate everybody against these two and no one changes their behavior, then all you're going to do is make the other viruses that cause cervical cancer come to the forefront and we're going to be starting all over again. So in a sense, does this undermine the abstinence message? Um, It may undermine it and it may not. Um, If we use this as a tool to help us talk to our patients, about the importance of abstinence, and when they realize this virus is so ubiquitous and that you can, you know, get this just with one sexual contact, maybe they'll start thinking, well, you know, perhaps I should wait. Um, Some of the other diseases, um, they don't necessarily kill you, and maybe you can go get an antibiotic and get well, but you're taking a chance that you could get a disease that you could die from or have pretty severe disability, a lot of surgery, whatever, may not die, but a pretty bad disease. And so maybe it'll help them think, um, you know, before participating in that kind of activity. I'm hoping that somehow we can we can also reach the young men with the abstinence message because I really think that, that it's very important that they receive that message as well. They're not being targeted with this vaccine at this point in time although at some point they probably will be. Senator Jane Nelson said, why aren't boys uh, receiving this mandate? Because they're the carriers. But the bottom line is, uh, Linda, they don't really get affected by this, do they? Well, the bottom line is it just hasn't been tested uh, sufficiently in in males yet. That's still on the horizon. And they don't get cervical cancer. They can get cancer of the penis and other parts of the genital tract. They can get other uh, cancers in other parts of the body, but the incidence of those cancers is a lot lower than cervical cancer. So mainly the, the one thing about Gardasil that I, can, that I think might sell for the guys is that it does also protect or at least provide some protection as far as we can tell against some of the warts and that's the thing that's going to bother them the most. Uh, Dr. Uh, Linda Flower, one more question uh, very quickly before the end. Um, you know, we know that the best way to protect against sexually transmitted disease and uh, pregnancy is abstinence until marriage and then knowing the partner, even the person that you marry. 
uh, that they've been abstinent. That would be your safest bet. And there are many who certainly are not practicing that. Uh, so we've got this vaccine. But uh, just just give me kind of a wrap up on what you think about this for the parent who is trying and really succeeding on teaching their young daughters uh, the values of purity and abstinence. What does that what does that do for that parent and that child? Um, you know, for that parent and that child, they need to continue that because this vaccine does not remove the possibility of uh, cervical cancer or any other sexually transmitted disease. So it really does not change the purity message at all. We don't have any vaccine for the emotions of a young girl or a young man. But we need to continue to um, help them see the benefits of waiting to uh, engage in sexual activity until marriage and to remain um, uh, monogamous in that relationship. Dr. Linda Flower, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That is Dr. Linda Flower from the Texas Physicians Resource Council. Next, we're going to talk about uh, anything that we've talked about today. You can give us a call, 800-881-9270. Join me for the final segment of Jerry Johnson Live. I'm Penny Dexter. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. My main goal is that just one person would hear my story and that it would open their eyes, you know, child, teenager, adult, just to the high risks that are out there. The risks are out there, and uh, she's got cervical cancer. She uh, engaged in, I'm not sure whether it was premarital, extramarital, or marital sex, but she did receive the human papillomavirus, and she got cervical cancer, and she's dying. The risks are out there, but do those risks merit our mandating a sex virus vaccine uh, to 11- and 12-year-olds? That's the question that the Texas legislature is dealing with right now and grappling with as they repudiate or attempt to repudiate this executive order by Governor Rick Perry saying that all girls entering middle school should get the vaccine against this virus, uh, really a sexually transmitted disease. And uh, so that's what we're discussing along with uh, the idea of civil unions, uh, really benefits of marriage for gay couples taking place in New Jersey. Is that or is that not a good idea? And, of course, Tony Blair's announcement that uh, Great Britain will pull troops out of Iraq uh, beginning this summer. And they're going to do this on a gradual basis. Uh, the number, 800-881-9270. We do have lots of calls. Let's go now to Gail in Fort Worth. Hi, Gail. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Penna, for taking my call. I just had a, a quick comment. Um, 
on uh, the lady that was speaking on the radio a while ago about the mandate on the human papilloma vaccine, the right. Cardiseal. Um, I, I think that it's totally a moral issue. I don't believe that the state has the right to uh, force our children to take a vaccine. Um, like she was saying, you know, it's not a disease that you can catch just from being next to someone. It's a disease that you have to catch from sexual activity. And I just I think that it's a moral issue, and I don't believe that the state has the right to, to force our children to have that vaccine. You know, a lot of times uh, vaccines are mandated because it's a public health issue, and they want to protect the general public health. A lot of people disagree with any vaccines, and then they have to opt out on a philosophical uh, basis. Uh, but in this case, it's it's a different ball game. I agree with you, Gail, that you know this is a behavioral uh, disease. And there are just no uh, two ways around that. And so you either combat it with trying to change behavior among that risk group or you com- and giving them the opportunity to get uh, the vaccine if science uh, develops a vaccine. But you don't mandate it. Absolutely. I, I totally believe in that. I, I, you know, I'm against, you know, anybody forcing us to do something that goes against our moral beliefs and values because I think that's a personal issue. And, you know, I I feel very terribly sorry for anybody who gets cervical cancer. Um, That that is a horrible disease. I have a family member that's going through chemotherapy for that very thing right now. Really? Um, But I just feel like that it's a, a strong moral issue with me, and I don't think the state has the right to decide that for us. Thank you, Gail. Next up is Roberto in Dallas. Hi, Roberto. Thanks for calling. Hi, how are you? I hope you can hear me well. Sure. All right. I think uh, the uh, uh, guest that you had just a few minutes ago uh, gave very important, very succinct, uh, and very detailed information, and uh, that's probably one of the best information I've heard on any program uh, in the news. Uh, And there was one comment that uh, I think it was very quick, and uh, a lot of people may not have paid attention to the comment, but she said, that this vaccine um, does protect only 70% of the patients or the individuals that get this uh, 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 cervical cancer, only 70% is caused by this virus. And in other words, um, having the vaccination does not assure you that you won't get cervical cancer in the future. It also doesn't assure that you're not going to get the other strains of the human papillomavirus that cause cervical cancer. So it's really a false sense of security, isn't it, Roberto? Exactly. And then the other important information, and this this is extremely sad, is that uh, the homosexual population is exposed to this virus, and this is something that affects male individuals as well. Well, that's a new piece of information. Thank you very much for that, Roberta. We appreciate your call. Let's go now to Connie in uh, Carroll, Texas. Hi, Connie. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call, Penna. I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I, I have a statement and, and a question. Um, the first, the statement, the young lady that gave her testimony on, on cervical cancer, I can completely understand her viewpoint. I have a family member that's a survivor of cervical cancer. Um, we don't know the etiology of it per se because it wasn't the HPV that we're aware of. But um, 
I, you know, I think her time would be better used as being a motivational speaker, going to maybe high schools, junior highs, and sharing her experience that way than man- helping mandate this vaccine. Um, and she doesn't and, have much time left. Well, I understand, but what better use of her time? Mm-hmm. I agree. And the other comment is, to me, if we do this, we're steps away from, you know, what are they going to do? Mandate that young ladies take birth control? Good point. You know, because if we're mandating this because it's a sexually transmitted disease, not that it's droplet or airborne or what have you, like chicken pox and other things, but like I say, we know how you get it, and it is a moral issue. And, you know, are we going to now try to fix, you know, teenage pregnancy and mandate birth control? I mean, to me, we're going down that line. And I, I don't think that's, I just, I don't think that's appropriate. It's, it's not for someone else to choose for your child. It's a slippery slope. And, uh, you know, they're working on developing an AIDS vaccine. And, you know, what concerns me is when you give a vaccine, you actually give a little bit of that virus. And in some people, it does create uh, a reaction. And uh, we haven't seen this going out in the larger population yet. And uh, we really don't know what the repercussions. It's an experiment on 11-year-olds, and it's not a good idea. Well, we've been talking today about really a couple of instances of the government uh, facilitating sin through legislation. When you mandate a vaccine for that really inoculates against some sexual misbehavior, you're facilitating sin. When you pass a law in the state of New Jersey or another state uh, that brings civil unions, the benefits of marriage for those who practice homosexual behavior, really anal sex, uh, you are facilitating sin. And uh, I, when I was at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, I heard Senator John McCain, he actually visited us there along with Mitt Romney and Sam Brownback. And John McCain uh, said that he could not support same-sex marriage, but he couldn't also pass a federal amendment against it, and that he really thinks the state should decide about these civil unions, about these benefits of marriage. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as you consider these candidates for uh, election. Well, 1 Corinthians 6 says, Flee sexual immorality. That means premarital immorality. That means extramarital immorality. It also means homosexual behavior. Uh, the government is not to encourage it. And uh, when states like Texas have wonderful abstinence curriculums, the government is not to undermine it and not to undermine parents who are trying to raise their children in the wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord. That's my thought on this issue. And uh, we'll have more tomorrow on Jerry Johnson Live. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.